Well, good morning. I know everyone has planned an exciting lunch or dinner for their dad, right? So we'll do our best to get out on time. Let's open up with a word of prayer, uh, and then we'll look into First uh, Samuel. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today, for waking us up, sustaining us every step of the way. I want to ask you to use me as an instrument, uh, to set aside my own thoughts and my own suggestions, and just speak uh, the message that you would have uh, to speak to us. Please help our hearts and minds to be receptive uh, to your word today, and uh, for us to see how the word of God guides us through every day, and how we can uh, change the way we act uh, to be more pleasing to you. So please keep us alert uh, and focused. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you would turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to be looking at uh, starting in verse 16. But first I want to go back and set the stage just a little bit. Uh, I don't want to tread too much on uh, Brother Ron's territory for next week. Uh, But there is a few key points we need to look at from earlier in this chapter uh, so that we know what the scenario is. Um, We see that Saul is king uh, of of Israel and the Philistines at this point in time were beginning to encroach on Israel. They were uh, putting garrisons up throughout Israel. They were imposing their will. They were taking over, if you would, Israel. And Jonathan, in in chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Jonathan attacked the Philistine garrison. So the Philistines, uh, they'd been sort of building little camps uh, all throughout Israel, and Saul wasn't really doing much about it. Um, He was sort of, uh, you know, rolling over, it seems, uh, from other verses we can see, and we'll get to those. Um, And his son, Jonathan, goes ahead and decides to attack one of these Philistine garrisons. So now the Philistines uh, aren't so subtle in their approach towards Israel. Now they're at war. It says uh, Israel was repulsive to the Philistines now. So Saul notifies all of Israel that they're now at all-out war. Now we'll jump ahead to uh, verse 16 in, in chapter 13. That's where we'll start our reading. Uh, These first couple verses are a description of some military movements that are happening between the two groups. Starting in verse 16, it says, Saul, his son Jonathan, and the troops who were with them were staying in Geba of Benjamin, and the Philistines were camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three divisions. One division headed toward Ophrah, the Ophrah road leading to the land of Shaul. The next division headed toward Beth Horon, toward the Beth Horon Road. And the last division headed down the border road that looks out over the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Um, in verse 19, we see the idea here. No blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel. That wasn't because Israel didn't have anyone that was willing to be a blacksmith. This is because the Philistines uh, wanted to suppress Israel. They wanted to control Israel. And so it says no blacksmith could be found in the land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. 
So all the Israelites went to the Philistines to sharpen their plows, mattocks, axes, and sickles. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for plows and mattocks, and one-third of a shekel for pitchforks and axes, and for putting a point on an ox goad. So on the day of the battle, not a sword or a spear could be found in the hands of any of the troops who were with Saul and Jonathan. Only Saul and Jonathan, his son, had weapons. So the Philistines were doing what they thought was the best possible strategy to suppress Israel, to take away their weapons. But none of Israel's victory had ever been on account of their military might. It had never been on account of how many weapons they had or, um, you know, their, their plans. Now, we see a lot of great strategy and excellent battle from the Israelites, but it was always because of God's provision. So the Philistines, they think they've got it figured out. They take away the weapons from the Israelites, certain that this is now going to suppress them. But that was never the source of Israel's uh, victory. And beyond that, not only has, have the Philistines taken away the weapons from Israel, but now they're forcing Israel to come to them, even to just maintain their tools. Now, I've never dealt in shekels, but from what I've read, they weren't even charging reasonable prices for their tools. So they, they take their weapons, they force them to come to their, their own enemies to repair their weapons, and they overcharge them. And again, like we said before, Saul hasn't done anything about this. Saul seems to be sort of taking his time. And Jonathan, it was his son Jonathan that went ahead and made the move to attack the Philistines. Now, we may be tempted very quickly at this point, um, as I just did, uh, to sort of pick on Saul a little bit for why it took him or, or why it didn't even it wasn't a matter of time. It, it took Jonathan stirring them up for Saul to recognize that they were at war. But. We often uh, find ourselves, or at least I do, I imagine some of you are with me in that uh, waiting on uh, negative things in our life, whether it be sin or whether it be negative influences, and just letting them uh, sort of sit there passively until they're uh, much, much larger or much more um, in your face where we have no choice but to now address them. Often we let things just sort of sit on the back burner. If they're not big and ugly and in your way, we just kind of let them sit there and simmer, sort of like Saul did. And you can be sure that God's always going to use some situation or someone to stir those things up eventually to where we have to address them in a much uh, bigger, uh, uglier way, right? Saul probably could have had a much more military advantage if he had uh, strategized on his own and decided to clear this, this mess out of the land, but he didn't. He waited until there was all-out war. In verse uh, 11, moving on to verse 12, um, so Saul and Jonathan are the only ones with weapons. And in verse 23, it says, uh, Now a Philistine garrison took control of the pass at Michmash. That same day, Saul's son Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, Come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, he did not tell his father. So similar to what he did at the start of uh, chapter 13, seems to be moving of his own 
uh, accord, sort of not waiting on his dad, not even telling his dad that he's going to go out to this uh, fight. He just tells his armor bearer, let's go over to the other side. Now, Saul was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron on the outskirts of Gibeah. The troops with him numbered about 600. Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, was also there. He was the son of Ahitub, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. But the troops did not know that Jonathan had left. There were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. One was named Bozes and the other Senna. One stood to the north in front of Michmash and the other to the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will save us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. His armor bearer responded, do what is in your heart. You choose. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. So Jonathan Presses on, uh, not really waiting on his dad, not really waiting on um, whatever it was that seemed to be holding Saul back. Right. Uh, and Jonathan recognizes we don't have weapons. We're only two men, but nothing's going to stop God from saving, whether by few, by many unarmed or not. It doesn't really matter if God wants to deliver us. It's not going to be a problem for him to do that, for him to accomplish that. Uh, another key thing to notice in this passage here is it says Ahijah who was wearing an ephod, was also there, right? So Saul is with Ahijah. Saul has total, complete, full access to the counsel of God. Saul has no reason, no excuse, no lack of reminders. He's there with a priest, right? He has full access to the counsel of God, but he's just under a tree with 600 men while Jonathan presses on. Uh, And in the same way that Jonathan says, uh, the Lord can deliver whether by many or by few, he also calls the Philistines uncircumcised men in a negative way, right? Not only is he calling or or, or pointing out the fact that he has God and Yahweh and this uh, powerful source that doesn't depend on the number of men or the amount of weapons, but he also contrasts that with these men are uncircumcised. They're not, they don't have God. So, what do we have to be afraid of, right? Like uh, we have this powerful God, um, the ultimate source of victory. They've taken our weapons away. It doesn't matter. They are godless. If God wants to give us the victory, it's not going to be a problem. Now, it's interesting to me that this passage uh, comes to us on Father's Day because it's really more of a, a lot of times on Father's Day, I think we have uh, good examples of fathers. Um, and we have more of a, a don't list today for, for dads, things not to do. Uh, and one of those is ignoring God and ignoring our access to God, right? Um, Saul has this priest. Um, he has total access to God. We have um, a priest now that constantly provides our access to God, right? Uh, Christ came. Christ is our priest, our mediator at any time, anywhere. We don't even have to be um, physically in a man's presence, right? Because Christ is ready for us to access God, calling us, beckoning us to access God. And we need to be very careful um, not to ignore that access. Again, we'll see a little further on um, 
It takes a lot for Saul to choose uh, to, to speak to God. Saul really spends a lot of time just waiting without speaking to God um, or acting of his own accord, as we'll see a little further on. But we need to be very aware of the fact that we constantly have access to a priest and have access to God, that, that ultimate source of victory, right? In verse 8, after the armor bearer says, do what's in your heart, I'm with you. Jonathan replies, all right, we'll cross over to the men and let them see us. If they say, wait until we reach you, then we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go up because the Lord has handed them over to us. That will be our sign. They let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've been hiding. The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up and we'll teach you a lesson. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet and his armor bearer behind him. Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. In that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half acre field. Terror spread through the Philistine camp and the open fields to all the troops. Even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. The earth shook and terror spread from God. Again, back to that concept, right? The Philistines take everyone's weapons. But now one man with weapons and one unarmed man go up. They kill 10 to 1 ratio. Uh, They're killing 20 guys. And they terrify the entire Philistine army. The ground is shaking, right? God's response to this act is tremendous. Two men, only one of them armed, have completely shaken up the entire Philistine army. Jonathan looks to the Lord. The Lord provides a response. He provides a sign. And Jonathan doesn't hesitate to act on that sign, right? Um, again, contrast with Saul. Saul wasn't even really looking for a sign. We see no interest from Saul. Remember, he's sitting under a tree, not speaking to the priest. Um, and all Saul is doing is hesitating, sitting around, waiting, not taking any kind of action. While Jonathan goes out, uh, receives a sign from God, takes action, and God responds tremendously. Um, now, there is a, uh, a caution, a word of caution here about, uh, to, to veer off just a little bit, about looking for uh, a sign from God, right? Because I would caution all of us to be very careful about telling the Lord uh, what we um, want to see in order to give us a response. Because Jonathan um, requests, uh, you know, he says, if, if they see us uh, and they say, wait until we reach you, then we'll stay. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go because the Lord has handed them over to us. We need to be very careful about um, giving God two options to follow. The difference being we now have the full word of God, right? We have everything pertaining to life and godliness. 
already revealed to us. Now, we want to seek God. We want to seek his direction, his instruction and his guidance. Right. But we uh, a lot of times we can uh, be stagnant in waiting for a sign or a symbol. Right. Uh, We can be waiting for a miracle while we have God's diary in our hands. Right. Um, That's the greatest miracle of all that God has already revealed everything uh, pertaining to life and godliness. So. We want God to reveal his will in our lives in a clear way, but he has revealed his will and everything we need to know um, for our decisions and our actions is uh, given to us through that revelation. In verse 16, uh, we're in chapter 14 now. Uh, the earth is shaking. God has brought terror on all the Philistines through Jonathan's uh, faithful pressing on here. When Saul's watchmen in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, they saw the panicking troops scattering in every direction. So Saul said to the troops, call the roll and determine who has left us. They called the roll and saw that Jonathan and his armor bearer were gone. Saul told Ahijah, bring the ark of God, for it was with the Israelites at that time. It's also interesting right there that when the the Philistines begin to panic and spread in every direction, um, Saul's first thought is not praise the Lord, but who's gone? What man did this? What men are missing that could have caused this action? Saul doesn't think, uh, you know, look, the Lord has handed the Philistines over to us. That might be kind of what you expect to hear there. But he doesn't. He says, let's call a roll and see who's gone. And they find that Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, have left. So Saul tells Ahijah, bring the ark of God, for it was with the Israelites at that time. While Saul spoke to the priest... The panic in the Philistine camp increased in intensity. So Saul said to the priest, stop what you're doing or literally withdraw your hand. Saul and the troops with him assembled and marched to the battle. And there the Philistines were fighting against each other in great confusion. There were Hebrews from the area who had gone earlier into the camp to join the Philistines. But even they joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard the Philistine, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they also joined Saul and Jonathan in the battle. Saul now talks to the priest. He sees the Philistines in great confusion, panic, terror, and now he thinks, well, let's see what's going on. So he asks the priest, you know, bring the ark of God. But as he's interacting with the priest, as the priest um, is, is seeking, seeking the Lord, the Philistines continue to increase the intensity of their panic. Right. They get so confused. They begin fighting each other. They're fleeing. Uh, the Philistines are a total mess at this point. And what does Saul do? He tells the priest, stop. Withdraw your hand. Stop, you know, stop seeking the Lord, essentially. And why? Well, his next action is that he goes down, he gets his troops together, and he goes out to fight against the Philistines. So Saul is ready to to go get a a piece of battle glory, as it were. Um, 
But it takes the Philistines being so panicked and confused that they're fighting each other before Saul decides to move, before Saul decides to take action. Now, again, uh, uh, every every passage in here is just a contrast between Jonathan and Saul, right? Uh, Saul, with 600 men, waits until the Philistines are so confused they're fighting each other. While Jonathan, with one man, confidently goes against, uh, well, actually, we don't know how many he went up against. He managed to kill 20 of them. Uh, so 10 to 1 there. Uh, just him and his armor bearer, uh, confidently, faithfully going out to fight against the Philistines. While Saul waits with 600 until they're fighting themselves. That's the point where he says, now I can go. Now I have an advantage, Right. He waits until he sees a military advantage or or what men might think is the opportune time. Now, of course, there's wisdom in, you know, biding your time and waiting for a good opportunity. But that wasn't God didn't tell him to do that. Right. He hadn't he hadn't spoken to God. In fact, when he did seek God there, the Philistines continued fighting uh, and panicked more and more and continued to flee. Seemingly, I would suggest that seemed like the will of God, that as he was then seeking God, the Philistines continued to panic and flee. But Saul wanted to stop that, interrupt God's will, so that he could go and strike down a disadvantaged enemy uh, for his own uh, military recognition. In verse 23, chapter 14, verse 23 We see what really was happening, though. It says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. The battle extended beyond Beth Avon and the men of Israel were worn out that day for Saul had placed the troops under an oath. The man who eats food before evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies, is cursed. So none of the troops tasted any food. So the Lord saves Israel. But Saul places them under an oath for his vengeance, right? We know that vengeance belongs to the Lord. The Lord saves Israel, but Saul places them under an oath for his vengeance. In verse 25, everyone went into the forest and there was honey on the ground. When the troops entered the forest, they saw the flow of honey. But none of them ate any of it because they feared the oath. However, Jonathan had not heard his father make the troops swear the oath because he was too busy obeying God and right being faithful and and moving. Uh, So Jonathan reached out with the end of his staff he was carrying and dipped it into the honeycomb. When he ate the honey, he had renewed energy. Then one of the troops said, Your father made the troops solemnly swear the man who eats food today is cursed and the troops are exhausted. Jonathan replied, my father has brought trouble to the land. Just look at how I have renewed energy because I tasted a little honey. How much better if the troops had eaten freely today from the plunder they took from their enemies. Then the slaughter of the Philistines would have been much greater. The Israelites struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash all the way to Ajalon. Since the Israelites were completely exhausted, they rushed to the plunder. They took sheep, cattle, and calves, slaughtered them on the ground, and ate meat with the blood still in it. Some reported to Saul, 
Look, the troops are sinning against the Lord by eating meat with the blood still in it, because this had been prohibited by God. Saul said, you have been unfaithful. Roll a large stone over here at once. He then said, go among the troops and say to them, each man must bring me his ox or his sheep. Do the slaughtering here and then you can eat. Don't sin against the Lord by eating meat with the blood in it. So every one of the troops brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had built an altar to the Lord. At least in in the translation I have here, the land is literally flowing with honey, right? They go into the forest and there's actually a flow of honey in the forest. Now, every bit of creation is God's design. And I would suggest that specifically this honey was God's provision for these exhausted troops. And it's a little bit of a feel good stretch here. But Saul's rash oath made the troops abstain from this honey while faithful Jonathan got to enjoy the Lord's literal sweetness, right? Jonathan didn't hear this oath that his dad had made. He's in the forest. He's been obeying God. God provides him honey. He gets renewed strength. It's quite a contrast there. That Saul, with a lack of faith, trying to take vengeance for himself, has prevented the troops from enjoying God's provision, God's flowing honey in this forest. It's ironic in verse 33, Saul tells all the troops that they've been unfaithful, but to his credit, he is trying to stop the, the, the troops from sinning against God there. Um, again, a slight uh, off offshoot here about the, the fact that what kept the troops from enjoying the, what God had provided, the honey, the sweetness uh, was Saul's pride, right? Saul's desire to have honor for himself. Uh, and a lot of times when people, I've heard a lot of suggestions about uh, how God doesn't, you know, we weren't created to glorify God. You know, how can God be so uh, full of himself, uh, you know, if you would. But uh, God is the supreme treasure of the universe the source of all true contentment, satisfaction, and full eternal joy. In asking us to glorify and obey him and give him glory, not just take credit for ourselves, God does the greatest possible good by inviting us into the sphere of his true love, contentment, satisfaction, and everlasting joy. The opposite of that is pride keeping us from enjoying the goodness of God. In verse 36, Saul said, let's go down after the Philistines tonight and plunder them until morning. Don't let even one remain. The troops replied, do whatever you want or literally do what is good in your eyes. But the priest said, we must consult God here. So Saul inquired of God, should I go after the Philistines? Will you hand them over to Israel? But God did not answer him that day. Saul said, all you leaders of the troops, come here. Let us investigate how this sin has occurred today. As surely as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, even if it is because of my son, Jonathan, he must die. Not one of the troops answered him. So he said to all Israel, you will be on one side 
and I and my son Jonathan will be on the other side. And the troops replied, do whatever you want or do what is good in your eyes. Again, interesting. Uh, Saul doesn't say, even if I have sinned or I am the one that has you know, caused God to fall silent. But he says, even if my son, even if it's your fault, Jonathan, you know, I don't care whose fault it is, never pointing at himself or suggesting that he might have done something wrong, but always, you know, pointing around, even if it's my own son, he must die. And the troops uh, at this point, are again, if I can extrapolate a little bit, I, they seem to be a little maybe turned off to Saul's actions, keeping them hungry. Saul doesn't seem to be leading very well. And they're not troops are not very wordy at this point. There's, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. There's even a verse where um, not one of the troops answered him. And just, they're very quiet. They're not really saying a lot. And it takes the priest stopping Saul for him to consult with the Lord. Still not his own volition there. It's the priest that stops Saul and virtually forces him. We must consult God here. So Saul inquires of God. God doesn't answer him. So now Saul wants to find out why God has seemed to have fallen silent. In verse 41, Saul said to the Lord, God of Israel, give us the right decision. Jonathan and Saul were selected and the troops were cleared of the charge. Then Saul said, cast the lot between me and my son, Jonathan. And Jonathan was selected. Saul commanded him, tell me what you did. Jonathan told him. I tasted a little honey with the end of the staff I was carrying. I am ready to die. Saul declared to him, may God punish me and do so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. But all the people said to Saul, must Jonathan die who accomplished such a great deliverance for Israel? No, as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he worked with God's help today. So the people redeemed Jonathan and he did not die. Then Saul gave up the pursuit of the Philistines and the Philistines returned to their own territory. Suddenly, the troops have something to say, right? They're very, very silent. Do whatever you want. They didn't answer. Do whatever you want. Now they they jump up with this big defense of Jonathan. They recognize God just worked through Jonathan. Jonathan caused all this victory. He he should not die. Uh, He should not die for this. Now, Jonathan was selected, though, right? He was selected as the cause. I hesitate to say that Jonathan was selected as the sinful one, which I'll look at in just a minute. But he he was selected as the cause for God's lack of a response. It's also interesting that Jonathan doesn't defend himself. Uh, He doesn't argue. He just says, I tasted the honey. I'm ready to die. But the troops speak up and they redeem him. The result is verse 46, that Saul gave up the pursuit of the Philistines and the Philistines returned to their own territory. Now, what I'd like to suggest is that perhaps Saul, uh, Jonathan was not guilty of sinning against God, but perhaps that God had orchestrated all these preceding events to fulfill his will in this victory over the Philistines. And we could trace that back as far as we want to, uh, you know, Jonathan initially attacking the Philistines or Jonathan's birth or Adam and Eve. But we'll just go back as far 
as um, the priest stopping Saul, right? So Saul wants to go clear out these Philistines, and the priest stops him. Saul wouldn't have asked God on his own. The priest had to stop him. Now, again, I wonder if, because it's very interesting, Jonathan doesn't seem nervous during this picking process. We don't see any mention of Jonathan feared greatly for his father's you know, wrath. We just, he's just going along with it. All right, cast a lot, cast a lot. Uh, and it seems to me that Jonathan didn't feel like he'd done anything wrong. Right? He'd been faithful. He didn't hear the oath. Uh, and back in the, the forest there, he's not even nervous there. He just says, my father brought trouble on the land. He doesn't say, my father brought trouble on me. He's just saying, why didn't he just let everybody eat? So it seems that Jonathan doesn't have a guilty conscience here, right? Um, so when he is selected, perhaps his faith and trust in God leads him to say, all right, I'm ready to die. If God selected me, if I am at fault, then so be it. I'm ready to die. But it was Jonathan's willingness to die that caused the troops to speak up on his behalf, which led to the Philistines fleeing, Saul stopping, right? And what did the troops say? There were two main problems that Saul has been uh, repeatedly uh, offending. His own pride, his, his desire for battle, glory, and victory, and his lack of glorifying God, his lack of giving, giving God credit until he's forced to by the priest. And the troops, they say two key things. Uh, they speak up and they say, must Jonathan die? Who accomplished such a great deliverance for Israel? They credit Jonathan. They undercut uh, Saul's pride by crediting Jonathan. But then they get a little more specific and they say, for he worked with God's help today. So they credit Jonathan and they glorify God. The two uh, things that Saul has been failing to do over and over again, trying to glorify himself trying to keep credit for himself. The troops uh, do this. Saul gives up the pursuit. And then these last few verses here, we will read them. They are uh, sort of Saul's kingship, a summary. It says, When Saul assumed kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies in every direction, against Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he caused havoc. He fought bravely, defeated the Amalekites, and delivered Israel from the hand of those who plundered them. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, and Melchishua. The names of his two daughters were Merib, his firstborn, and Michael, the younger. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, daughter of Ahimaz. The name of the commander of his army was Abner, son of Saul's uncle Ner. Saul's father was Kish. Abner's father was Ner, son of Abiel. This is also an interesting verse 52 here. The conflict with the Philistines was fierce all of Saul's days. So whenever Saul noticed any strong or brave man, he enlisted him. Um, briefly on that verse, uh, in chapter 8, verse 11, Samuel had been uh, describing to Israelites what a king would be like. And he said, these are the rights of a king who will rule over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. And then in verse 52, we see that whenever Saul noticed a strong or brave man, he enlisted him. 
so just an interesting fulfillment there of uh, you know prophecy from Samuel about what a king would be like. So the differences between Saul and Jonathan, the list of fatherly don'ts, uh, if you would, um, just to point out a few contrasts from what we did, and then we'll close in a word of prayer. Um, in the beginning of chapter 13, Jonathan attacks the Philistine uh, garrison while Saul blows a horn to alert uh, Israel. Uh, Jonathan advances with one man while Saul stays under a tree with 600. Jonathan seeks God's approval. Saul ignores God's available counsel. Jonathan, with one other man, charges against at least 20. And Saul, with an army, waits until the Philistines are so confused they're already fighting themselves. Jonathan is willing to die, and Saul is willing to kill his own son. So let's be... Uh, well, let's, you know, Saul didn't do a lot of admirable things, um, but let's, you know, let's do be gracious to his uh, memory because it does show us a lot of things that we do. That we wait till we have an advantage. Uh, you know, we ignore God's counsel. Uh, but let's do consider the faithfulness of Jonathan and how he didn't wait till the numbers were in his favor. He didn't wait till he was well armed. Um, he didn't hesitate when the Lord revealed his will, he acted on what the Lord uh, showed him. And let's remember that we have all of God's will uh, revealed to us, ready for us to dig into it and take action on it. So let's, uh, let's go before the Lord um, and remember that we want to honor him through our obedience, through seeking him, uh, through knowing his will and uh, living based on it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time where we got to look into the details of a, of a story in the Old Testament that has so many interesting contrasts that we can see uh, played out in our lives, whether positively or negatively. I pray that we would recognize the value and the truth of what your word has for our lives. Call us to trust you, to seek you, to listen to your direction, to read and understand uh, your will for our lives and that we would act on it. Please unsettle us whenever we're allowing things to just simmer, stir them up, call our attention to them. Help us to clear them out. Please be with us uh, today. Help us to remember you not just uh, for an hour in the mornings uh, on Sundays, but to continually remember you and continually seek your will. Help us to be sensitive to your will and to act on it. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.